Welcome to the Matterhorn Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kathleen Waller. Here, we have conversations about cultural studies, the arts, and writing. If you want to sign up to my Substack newsletter for free, just click on the link in this homepage. Today, I'm speaking with Terry Friedman about Illipo and experimentation with writing, which are both part of a new thread on Terry's Substack publication called Eclecticism, Reflections on Literature and Life. He will also be offering a workshop on this topic next month. Terry has spent his career in education, first as a teacher of economics, then as a teacher of computing, followed by spells in a government body, local authority, and independent consultancy. He's been a freelance writer in the field of education since 1989, and also writes about education, literature, writing, and anything else that takes his fancy. So welcome, Terry. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Matterhorn. Thank you for inviting me. Great. Good to see you. Um, So, I mean, I'll start by just saying I'm really enjoying your newsletter. Um, I subscribe and, you know, you're very prolific. You've got a lot of interesting angles and interesting takes. And I find that not only with Olippo and other areas, you're looking at a lot of the details of writing that I find really interesting. Um, But the details and this idea of creativity are really important part of Olippo. I think a lot of our readers and our listeners might not know about Olippo. So maybe you could start by just telling us um, what it is and and how you see it. Yeah, thank you. Um, Well, I didn't know about Olippo myself until um, a few years ago, just before the pandemic, in fact. Um, One of the things I like to do is browse in bookshops just to see what's, what's new, what's going on. And in one of the bookshops, there was this book called The Penguin Book of Ulipo. And I thought, I've never heard of this. What is it? Anyway, I flicked through it and just fell in love with it. It was just such different writing, um, and uh, which I'll explain. Um, the word comes from uh, the French. Uh, it's an acronym. And what it translates as is Workshop of Potential Literature. And um, it was started in 1960 by two people. Uh, Raymond Cano and someone called Francois uh, Le Lyonnais. And um, the best way of describing it, I think, is is what Cano said. He said, um, Ulipians are rats who construct the labyrinth from which they then try to escape. <laughs> so <laughs> love that. Quite nice. And I and I see it as um now, the interesting thing is, I should just interrupt myself here to say that a lot of the techniques or some of the techniques of Ulipo weren't new to Ulipo. Um, so, for example, one of the techniques is to write something in the form of an acrostic. So, uh, in other words, if you take the first letter of every word, that would spell something. So, like a hidden message kind okay. of thing. Um, mm-hmm. That happens in the Bible, in the Psalms. They're all kind yeah. of little things like this. Um, and the Olympians have a name for the people who did this, that they, they call them anticipatory plagiarists because they're basically ripping off the techniques of Ulipo before the Ulipo was invented. Oh, wow. So it gives you a sense, I think, that the whole thing is quite playful in a way. I think there are two strands to it. One is um, it started off uh, as a way of trying to exclude the author so it uh, um so it, it became it, it was kind of a, a very technical thing like the author becomes a technician so one one technique for that 
maybe we'll go into this a little bit later, is something called N plus seven. So what you do is you take a piece of writing and every time you come across a noun, you substitute the seventh noun further on in the dictionary. Um, so you produce some other, basically another piece of work. Now, um, that's in, the, in a sense excluding the author. It's just a technical thing, except it isn't because you get to choose which dictionary you use, obviously. So, oh, of course. Right? Um, but in the early days, um, the Ulipians were very interested in cybernetics. This is in the 1960s and everything. Interested in, could you actually get um, a computer to write, um, write prose or poetry? Which is quite funny now, isn't it? Because we've almost, we've kind of come full circle. We can get ChatGPT yeah. to write whatever you want. The very the, the work that is um, for, regarded as the very first work of the Ulipo is um, something by Raymond Cano called A um, Hundred Thousand Billion Poems. And what he did was, <laughs> what he did was he wrote 10 sonnets. Now, a sonnet, as you know, is four, consists of 14 lines. Ten sonnets, one on each page. But what, what he did was he produced this book in such a way that um, you can cut the lines of the sonnet sonnets out and substitute. So, like, for example, you could flip the sonnet line number three of sonnet number one over and substitute sonnet num line three from sonnet number six over to okay. it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I see. Okay. Yeah. So kind if of a, that, yeah. a play between. Mm -hmm. Exactly. If you do that, someone worked out that if you were to um, read every single combination that's possible from that, it would take you several, uh, without a break, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no sleeping, no eating, no nothing. Um, it would take you several times the lifetime of the universe to get through them. All. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's completely bonkers. But you just right. wanted to see. I think if you could do it, and 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 even if some of them would make sense, but I think um, what most people associate with the Ulipo is um, number one experimentation, and number two um, the idea of the constraints. You know, so you just give yourself a constraint, and and you work to that constraint. And I'll just say one more thing uh, before I butcher on anymore: is the original Ulipians were reacted against a group called the Surrealists. I mean, it sounds completely insane, but the Surrealists, and you still get this in creative writing classes, I think, um, are the people who just say, get in touch with your subconscious, just so they all flow out. Um, and they were saying, no, you know, that can just produce a load of rubbish. Um, just give yourself constraints and, and make yourself work harder like that. It, mm. it, it, to the constraint. So really response to that kind of freedom and also that that inner that inner voice really. Yeah. I guess. Which mm -hmm. is kind of why why I'm from what I understand it, you know, morning notes where you just sit down and say, I'm gonna write, write sit down and write for half an hour. I'll just write yes. anything, just keep writing. Yes. Um and I can see it might be useful. Um I can't be bothered with it to be honest. I mean it, I've tried it before, and I think it, it doesn't really do that much for me, except one time when I was in a creative writing class and they said, 
think of a topic and just keep writing about it. And I wrote about my dad and um, some things came out which I'd forgotten. And I actually used that as the basis of an article. So it can be useful. I'm not, oh, wow. not to sound like I'm decrying it. And if people mm-hmm. listening to this particularly like that, well, good luck for them. I, I found I preferred the idea of constraints better on mm-hmm. the whole. So it sounds like in a way before you discovered this this book and this school of thought that your your personal philosophy about writing really kind of synced with the ideas even if maybe it wasn't as explicit is that is that right or did this change the way that you were writing I think it, it gave me more um offered more scope for my writing if you see okay. what I mean um and um and I think even in a way that particularly wasn't Ulipian. For example, I wrote um, uh, I wrote a review of a book called The Comfort of Strangers um, by Ian McEwen. Um, now, I didn't use an Ulipo technique particularly, um, but what I did do was I did it in the form of one of these, um, these kind of psychology quizzes you get in popular magazines, you know. Oh, okay. The, you know, yeah. You're on holiday. Do you do you do you spend all the t- in a lovely uh, city? Do you spend all the time having sex in your room, or do you actually go out and explore the place? <laughs> mm-hmm. And and it it gave you a score at the end. Well, I think oh, I might great. not have thought of that before before coming across the Olipo because it just made me think. Oh, you know, we don't have to be completely straight laced about everything. Right. I think also the other thing, Kate, is, um, I mean, pro- it probably did sink, you know, kind of chime with me on some level. Um, but most of my writing for most of my life has been very kind of, um, it's been for teachers or academia or something like that. So there's no room for that sort of playfulness, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I think it just kind of came at the right time when I was thinking, you know, I'd like to do other kinds of writing instead of, uh, talking about technology and stuff and um yeah it just came at the right time that's great so it's it's these constraints but a playful use of of constraints and almost reinventing or subverting them it sounds like because you know the way that you're talking about it it's anytime we have a like a text type we're working within or as you said academic structures for example those are of course constraints but these are um some ideas that maybe at first seem absurd and then actually get you to go further with your writing. Yeah. It sounds like after you read this book, you started to apply it to your own writing before you brought it to your, to your website. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, I did start trying things out and, um, um, now one of the things I tried out, for example, is, um, I, I wrote an article um and um it, it was ostensibly a review of a course i'd been on um uh, it was a it was a course about short stories european short stories and there was one author i couldn't stand i couldn't stand any of their stuff um and what i did was i wrote this article this review in the form of an acrostic that if you took every the first letter of every sentence it spelled out the name of this um this author, you see, so it's kind of okay. like hidden in plain sight. Yeah. yeah, quite like that. Um, and um, yeah, I've just been experimenting uh, with it ever since. And and the um, and what particularly took my fancy, and which I quite like, um, 
kind of inspired me to do this experiments in style, which which we'll chat about, I hope, um, was um, there's someone called Harry Matthews who wrote something called 35 Variations of Shakespeare. Uh, this is the um, the uh, to be or not to be uh, speech. Okay. Mm -hmm. My favourite of this is Hamlet quit stalling. And um, <laughs> that's that's his summary of the, the whole play. Oh, that's it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, so I quite like that because it's very playful, isn't it? And And, yeah. and also it's kind of, erudite in a way because you have to know what the play's about you have to understand what he's getting at otherwise it's completely and utterly meaningless yeah of course um and i enjoyed doing mashups so for example i um i i, I borrowed from this uh, and this is this is another thing i think people borrow each other's techniques you know so i borrowed from this right. and i wrote an article called um hamlet reimagined as the dice man I don't know if you're not familiar with, with that Luke Reinhardt, the Dice Man. Are you, are you Kate? No, no, I'm not actually. It's someone who lives his life completely randomly. So he'll throw a, a, a die, a die, and okay. uh, it comes up a three. Then he'll go and do this, and if it comes up a four, do that. So, so I just wrote one which said, "If it comes up a one, I'll kill my uncle. If it comes up and as a two, I'll pop over and see Ophelia." And, and, and it's just like that. Right. It's completely nuts. But it's, <laughs> it's good fun. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds great. Sounds like even some of the ideas that maybe Tom Stoppard was exploring in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. You know, looking oh, at this good. kind of the absurd in Shakespeare, and yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it might have something to do with that. But those are some really great examples. Um, and I understand at the beginning of Ulipo, some of the famous writers working in this. I wouldn't say genre, like a technique, I guess, or within this workshop group, right? Where uh, Italo Calvino and, and George Perrick. So do yes. you have, did you read some of their work or? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, um, it's interesting about Calvino because um, um, some purists were, were kind of very angry with him. They, they said his mm -hmm. writing went down once he got involved with the Ulipo. And, um, how can you be Italian and write, you know, and, and be influenced by the French? It was that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, culture wars. Think, yeah. yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about the Ulipo is that you have to be invited to join it. If, for example, I wrote okay. to the Ulipo and said, can I join your organisation? Not only would they say no, but they would ban me from ever joining. You have to be invited and oh. Calvino was invited in 1973. Um, so he must have been writing um, Ulipian kind of stuff before then right. um, in order to be invited. Um, and it was after that, I think, it, I think it was 1976 or something, he wrote If on a Winter's Night, A Traveller. Um, okay. And that's very Ulipian because um, it's... Um, I mean, there's some kind of very intricate, weird, logical structure to the whole thing, which he published at the time and said he did. He stipulated he didn't want it translated into any other language. So he obviously mm. hadn't foreseen um, Ulipo. Um, mm. Another thing, there was an interesting bit in that um, part of that where one of the characters says something like, I never bothered to read a book. I just 
kind of see what words are in it and count how many words, you know, like if there are lots of words to do with blood and stuff like that, then it's obviously right. a detective novel. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Well, 30 years later, we got something called Wordle. I don't mean the game. I mean, a word cloud thing where you can okay. copy and paste a whole load of text in and it would basically tell you by showing you the size of the words what this text is about. So Calvino. Right. I remember that, yeah. Cybernetics <laughs> and stuff like that. He'd actually foreseen all this or, or at least imagined it. Hmm. So very, very interesting. Um, Perek, I don't know too much about his pre-Ulipian uh, writing, but... Um, uh, he is very much associated with the uh, Ulipo, and he, um, for example, took one of their techniques called the lipogram to an extreme, to, to the extreme. So a lipogram is where you omit a particular letter from the text. Okay. And it's incredibly hard to do. Well, it's easy to do, but it's hard to do if you want to make sense. <laughs> he, he wrote a whole novel called Avoid, A Void, um, without using the letter E. And what's absolutely oh. amazing is that... Sounds impossible. <laughs> well, Doesn't yeah. it? it sounds like it would be impossible to do, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the translations of it also miss out the letter E, you see. Wow. Now, the only thing is, now I'm sure that, that some people here might think this is terribly sacrilegious. Um, I find his works incredibly boring to read. Um <laughs> So it's almost, for me anyway, it's like, well, this is a fantastic exercise, um, but um, it's not that pleasurable to read. I mean, it's okay, but it's, mm. it, it's, it's something that you kind of marvel at. And I found with myself, I, I tried to write something the other day, uh, about a week ago, I wrote an article called Trains. Now, there's a Nulipo technique called 99 Preparatory Notes. And the idea is you think of a topic and, and you write 99 sentences about it, which I found incredibly difficult to do. I got to number 31 and I thought, what next? But I set myself the additional challenge of wanting each sentence to be self-contained so that I couldn't have a sentence which said, after that happened, because people would be saying, after what happened? Because what I did after I wrote this narrative... <laughs> Sorry, I rearranged all the sentences in alphabetical order. And the challenge to readers, I can't think of anyone insane enough to take this up, but the challenge to <laughs> the ch challenge to readers is to see if you can reconstruct the original narrative. But if you can't, it's kind of like a jigsaw. You could create any number of narratives because all the sentences are self-contained. So it doesn't matter which order you put them in. And I worked out that that would take several billion years to do properly as well. Oh, good. So if you've only got a spare the Olympians have a lot of a lot of time on their hands, right? <laughs> yeah, but and I think I think this was another one of the questions you were going to ask me. But that, that, mm -hmm. it probably sounds completely insane. Why would anyone sit down for two hours and try and do this? It's pointless. Oh, I know what I was going to say as well. Um, much as I tried to make it readable. Some of the sentences in that were very stilted because they, I had to try and avoid saying things like, and then what happened was, or before this. And, and it, it, mm -hmm. you could tell it's kind of artificial. You can see there's something right. going on. 
Um, but the reason I did it was um, as, a, as a challenge, really. I mean, writing 99 sentences, each of which is self-contained, but which form part of a whole story. Well, I was going to say it's quite difficult. I found it difficult. Do, do you know what I mean? I mean and, it sounds difficult. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, but what, what I've also found as well is that it's um, challenged me to think of different words to use. Like if, if for example, I'm um, I'm writing something which is in the form of an acrostic, okay. then I need to find some kind of synonym for the beginning of the uh, sentence or some sentences mm -hmm. rather than what I actually originally would have said. So I think it's a good antidote to... Um, uh, dare I say laziness? Because I'm 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 um I'm the sort of person I'll just bash something out. I mean I'm terrible at proofreading to be honest. Um, because once I've written it, I can't be bothered to go over it. So I I <laughs> yeah I just kind of bash it out and that's yeah, it. That's I understand. <laughs> yeah, but if I'm trying to do something clever with it, then I can't just bash it out. I have to think. Well, this is what the bashed out version would be, but I need to I need to work on that. Yeah. It's, and it sounds like it's really, I mean, whether or not you, you actually use the end product of these exercises you're talking about, they sound like really great exercises for, for writers just to, as you said, access maybe other language. We're not, you know, we, I think we get used to certain sets of language when we're writing sometimes. And that's why I like to keep, I know some writers who don't, they actually tell me they don't read while they're writing a book, for example, they don't want it to interfere with their book, but I try to read, um, all sorts of like kind of kooky stuff I wouldn't normally read to try to grab that language and bring it, you know, into, in my own way, into what I'm writing. So I, I can see how these exercises, even if you said some of them, um, like the Peric work you were talking about, maybe sound a little bit heartless at times. Um, it, it can still have, it can still have a power in, in what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So, I agree it's really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and the nice thing about this um, is that um, you can just set your own constraints um, if you wish, just as a challenge. I mean, I That's said great. to Elaine, my wife once, I said, can you think of a number? And um, and she said, 57. Um, I said, okay, that's how long I'm going to make my next book review, 57 <laughs> words. Um, and um, I mean, it's mad, really. I mean, there's no absolutely pointless but on the other hand, it kind of isn't pointless because, um, I mean, one of the magazines that has uh, published book reviews of mine, they only they set a limit of 150 words. So mm. I sometimes get these books of 300 pages long and I've got to summarise, review it in 150 words. And, and it's really, really hard. That's tough, yeah. And um, it's hard to do it justice and get some nuance and everything. Um, but it's good, good discipline, I think. Because if I just said, well, mm -hmm. just write what you want, I could write 5,000 words, of which 200 words are okay, and the other lot, 4,800 would drivel. So Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that's, yeah, that's a fantastic explanation of it. So so when you're, when you're writing in this, you've got a, a strand on your newsletter that's the Olipo section. Are you, you're sharing some of the work that you've been doing, practicing, you're talking about the experiences a bit, but are you are you also um, offering ideas to to readers, or what kinds of 
um, yeah. activities do you put on that? Yeah. Um, well, um, occasionally I'll put on, um, I'll, I'll write a post called something like Ulipo writing prompts. So it'll say things like write about X in no more than 300 words or write okay. about X. But every sentence has to begin with the same letter. That's called a tautogram. That's hard as well. Um, uh, other times, what else do I do? Oh, other times I'll, I'll write something which is, say, in the form of an acrostic or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I'll say to the readers, can you guess what the hidden, can you work out what the hidden message is? Um, and I did one the other day called um, H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O. Um, right, now. <laughs> okay. Only one person got this. So if, if you, it, that was the title of the poem, okay? Um, it was also accompanied by a photograph of somewhere called Rain and Marshes, which is basically the River Thames. Um, and each line in the poem, the, the first letter of it spelled out, out a word. Uh, well, the hidden word there was water, um, because the title of the poem mm -hmm. is are the letters H2O. So H2O is water. Of so course. <laughs> <laughs> See, once once someone points it out, it's oh my then god. It's then it's obvious and you feel silly. No, but it's that's great. Um yeah. that's a really fun way to to interact with your readers as well and and play with it and you know see um it, I'm sure even people who don't come up with the answer right away would still go through an interesting thought process. So it, it doesn't sound like it's just about getting the answer right. It's it's thinking about patterns. Um, yeah, which is really exactly. cool. I mean, that's that's a really nice thing to bring to your readers. And you're also going to do a workshop. So can you tell us more about the workshop? Oh, yeah. Can I just tell you about the experiments in style? Yes, you can. Of course. That. Thank you. Yes. Um, well, uh, Raymond Cano wrote a book called Nine, uh, um, Exercises in Style. And what he did was he, <coughs> excuse me, he took um, a really simple incident that he noticed on a bus in Paris, mm -hmm. I think, and then rewrote it in lots of different ways. Um, and I thought that that's that's a brilliant idea. So I, I decided to do the same. Now, about a year ago, this is going to sound, uh, your readers will think I'm nuts, um, <laughs> but I got up in the middle of the night and I, this is true, right? I didn't turn the light on. Instead of walking through the door because I wanted to go to the bathroom, I walked into the wall, right, but almost knocked myself out. Yikes. And, and and the next day, Lane said to me, look, you better go to hospital, just get yourself checked out. And I did, you know, and I was fine. So that is a really boring incident. You couldn't make, you know, a play out of that. But mm -hmm. then I rewrote it in several ways. So shall I give you a couple of examples? Yeah, that would be great. Go through Let's the whole lot. Mm -hmm. take forever. Um, but, but one version was... Um, a bang on the head as a children's cautionary tale in rhyming couplets. And it, and it starts, um, Terry arose in the middle of the night, but didn't bother to use the light. And so instead of walking through the door, he hit the wall and then the floor. And, it, and then it says, um, oh dear, he cried, I must confess I'm not feeling at my best. And it goes on like that. But then I tried um, another version, which is, as a newspaper report. So this is in a newspaper called The Daily Trumpet. And the headline is, I'm not a headbanger, 
claims man who banged head by our reporter. And it says, last night, for no apparent reason, Terry Friedman, a resident of Essex, banged his head in the middle of the night. I was on my way to the bathroom when all of a sudden I banged my head on the wall. I thought it was the door. A neighbour who wished to remain anonymous told us, I don't understand it. They're such a nice couple and he's never done anything like this before. His wife must be in bits. So basically the same story, completely different. Right. Um, but I think it raises um, a couple of interesting issues. Whenever I do a creative writing course with me as a stu uh, student on it. Okay. People always say, if you're writing nonfiction, does it absolutely have to be completely and utterly true? And my, my view is, look, if I'm reporting a conversation that happened 20 years ago and I say, oh, and then she said, oh, my God. But in fact, she actually said, oh, my goodness. I don't think that that's lying to the reader. Right. But each of these is actually telling lies to make it work because there weren't any neighbours involved. Um I, I, I didn't try out. I mean, I didn't, when I hit my head, I didn't fall on the floor or anything like that. Um, so it would have been maybe, a very different story. Yeah. If you, if you actually had been hurt, we wouldn't be laughing about it now, or maybe we would depending on what the outcome was later, but exactly, it changes everything. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the other thing is now in the, in the English national curriculum in the UK, and I dare say it's very similar to, you know, the other countries probably have a similar thing. Mm-hmm is kids have to learn how to write in different styles. Yes. Um, so this sort of thing would be a brilliant exercise, you know, write it as if you're writing a government report, writing as if you're reporting, you know, write it in the form of a rap song. Absolutely, or, or yeah. You know, so, mm -hmm. and even for adults, because 25 years ago or something, I had to write a report about a project for the Department for Education, but also the same project for the, for the organization I was working for and also the same project for parents where it's three very different pieces of writing right. so you have to become you have to I think you have to be adept at this it makes you a better writer even if you don't mm -hmm. use all the things you know and I like the examples that you gave because it's not only the diction that changes but it's it's the rhythm, for example, as well, when you're talking about a rap or, I mean, of course the form and it looks different and all this, but the rhythm yeah. of the words that you choose and the, even the punctuation, you know, it's, it's going to be different. That would give students a lot to talk about as they, as they try it out because they might do it, some of it without even realizing, right. And then you can go back and look at the details. Exactly. Be really cool. And it does work. And I'm just thinking about your first question. Did did you do anything like this before? And I've just, just mm -hmm. remembered, actually, I did. Very successful, I thought. Um, I used to teach economics. <coughs> and some of the concepts are very, very difficult uh, for students to grasp. Um, so I, I wrote the theories in the form of blues songs. And when I tested the kids, um, well, kids, students, six months later, they remembered it all. Um, oh, wow. Because the and, and and the blues song blues songs tend to have have these constraints not only in terms of the the poetry like um, the first two lines are repeated and then there's another line but even the even the ideas in it like you know people wake up and they say something to their woman or their man or their woman mm -hmm. or their man walks out on them <laughs> and they've got their suitcase packed they're all all these tropes you know <laughs> what I'm doing with the um, experiments in style project is I'm just producing a new one every week um I'm setting myself challenges but 
um, what I'd like to do is invite other people to try and do the same, you know, and um, because it, it's just good fun apart from anything else. It, it's good to challenge yourself. Mm. And and this workshop um, I'm doing is, um, is a, it, it, I first ran it last year as a two and a half hour taster course. It's called Writing the Ulipo. And um, got some really good feedback from it. You know, people enjoyed themselves. So I said to my line manager at the college, can we run a longer course? You know, people are saying, can we have a longer one? So it's now two times two and a half hours. So five hours altogether. Right. So what I'll be doing on that is introducing some of these techniques we've spoken about, but allowing a lot more time for the participants to um to uh, try it out for themselves, you know, and, nice. and also I'll give them some reading to do um, that will kind of um, get them in the mood, so to speak, you know, because there are some fantastic mm. examples of uh, Ulipo out there, you know, like oh. pro- professional, not people like me. Yeah, well, um, yours as well. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, is this a, is this a Zoom workshop or is this live or how are you? It, it'll be a it? Zoom workshop. And okay. um, it, it's uh, it's the 10th and 11th of June, which is a Saturday and a Sunday. Um, and it's UK time, 10.30 to one o'clock on each day. So um, people like yourself uh, who, who are living in Europe, that they could join. It would just be an hour later. Mm-hmm. And, and people who are living in, say, the, on the East Coast would just have to get up at 5.30. And, um, for work maybe angeles, for our, yeah. <laughs> people in los angeles would have to log in at 2 30 um right. a.m but um not quite sure what australian time would be but yeah th- th- um, it's going to be online and uh what i like to do with these online courses is send out reading and stuff beforehand and a questionnaire find out where people are at <coughs> excuse me That's sorry nice. um, so it, it should be quite good fun well, cool. I hope so. and and so if if people subscribe to your newsletter, they'll get all of that information from you, or is it a separate? Oh website? yeah, I'm going to be it's on the newsletter promoting like mad. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll have all the links in the episode page if if you don't know Terry's newsletter, so um, that's no problem. It should be really easy to find, and it sounds really exciting. I mean, I know you you also teach a lot online as well, so I imagine you know your workshops online would be really engaging. Um, you know, you've developed ways that work with your students. So I think that would be really cool to see. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. Um, and I guess that's all the time we have today. But I mean, this is this is such a, a fantastic way of of thinking about writing that you've you've introduced a lot of us to. And I also really love the way that you're bringing a more interactive quality to your your online platform. So you're really you're asking people to to participate online in a really meaningful and yet fun way. So it doesn't always have to be taken seriously, but at the same time, it can be something that really improves their practice. Um, so yeah. I just, I'm really enjoying, you know, kind of watching where it goes. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, people have, people have been quite good. They've been um, quite engaged, I think. They've responded in the comments. And um, one person, Jody Sperling, who writes on Substack, said mm. that it's worth subscribing to my newsletter just for these experiments, which was right. very nice. 
Either that or he's got very low standards. But yeah, it's it's quite nice. (laughs) That's very British, British humility. There you go. It's a great one. So So if any of you listening there want to um, access all of the media for this conversation, um, we have a lot of links in the episode description, a lot of the text that Terry mentioned, as well as his Substack and the Matterhorn. So you can get yourself on those subscription lists um, for free. There's also um, paid subscriptions if you choose to at any time, um, but you can get yourself on there for free. So you can check those out. Um, And thanks to all of you for joining us today. And a very special thanks to my guest, Terry Friedman. This has been a lot of fun talking to you. So thank you. Thank you.